Hey, everybody, it's Ken and John. Before we start the show, we just wanted to make sure you heard mm. on our last show the change in Omnibus. No change at all to you, the listener. The show's still delightful. The show's still free. But the show is now independent. We are independent of our corporate masters. We have uh, we pulled the ripcord. That doesn't mean it's scary for us, but it means nothing to you except that if you would like to join us on our journey and support the new independent omnibus, you can now do so through the funding mechanism of Patreon. Our Patreon account is patreon.com slash omnibus project. Uh, you can go there and uh, and join at several t- at several different tiers. Different uh, perks and privileges are in the works. For now, we just appreciate you early adopters who are hopping aboard with faith the the new uh, independent omnibus that we're building is going to be cool. Yeah, my operating principle is always donate at the level that makes you slightly uncomfortable about the the amount of your contribution. Thank you for your support of the new independent omnibus. The adventure is just beginning, unless the cataclysm comes. Bum bum bum. And. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 537.ps2103, certificate number 23490. Gold hats. Perhaps one of the more peculiar, visually impressive, yet suspiciously little-known ancient golden artifact has to be the Berlin golden hat. And although, predictably... A rather mundane modern history has been attached to it. We believe there is substantial evidence to suggest it is, in fact, an upart, an out-of-place artifact. Supposedly, according to the academics, it is a late Bronze Age artifact, somehow made during this era, from incredibly thin gold leaf. Could this hat perhaps be more historically valuable than we are being led to believe? Gold hats! Then wear the gold hat, if that moves her. Go back to those gold hats. If you can bounce, how bounce for her, too. I was in Berlin this summer for the first time. Humble brag. I don't, what, what's the humble part? <laughs> I, I was... Uh, build, oh, the I was, first time. I was building orphanages <laughs> in Berlin. Oh, yeah, the first time, I see. <laughs> I'm sure you've been to Berlin. Berlin's a big rock city. Yeah, I've full, been to Berlin a lot. Steeped in musical history. Bowie and Lou Reed and I was in Berlin in uh, '89 when the wall came down. I was there. I was there for that event. Uh, you just happened to be passing through. 
so I'd, I'd gone to East Berlin that summer and uh, done the whole thing, you know, gone through Checkpoint Charlie and and uh, you were selling secrets to the Russians. I was selling secrets to the Russians. I had a I had a I had the microfiche in my in the hat band. What, of my was your, uh, what was your code name? Uh, eggs. 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 So all those communiques that say it's time to scramble eggs. Yeah, that's you, that's are, you. Are we gonna get Are we gonna get some eggs today? Yeah, go get a dozen eggs. So your code name is. A dozen eggs? No, eggs. Okay, it's just eggs. Uh, but my handler was Scottish, and he pronounced it eggs. So you had, eggs. You had a Scotch egg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I was I, I, I was still in Europe. I was in Florence or Firenze. We call it Firenze. <laughs> uh, and I picked up a copy of the International Herald Tribune one morning as I was sitting having my... my this is a very late 80s story. <laughs> Digestif. And uh, it said something's you know like uh, it's crazy. The Hungarians are are there's a there's a doings a transpiring over here. There's this and that. It started it started when Hungary uh, and some of these other countries that were a little soft on the Warsaw Pact yeah. from the beginning. Let's be honest. Started to we're not like, not a hundred percent sold on Stalinism. Weirdos. <laughs> they op- they opened their borders and started to let people out. Or opened ish their borders. Yeah, but then Honecker started to teeter and and uh, I was at the time, and this is terrible, I don't mean to say this, uh, I don't mean to encourage people to engage in this kind of behavior, but at the time I was traveling on a forged URL pass, <laughs> which is to say a URL pass that a uh, that an unscrupulous person in, in uh, Amsterdam had treated with disappearing ink potion. To get rid of the, the other guy's name or whatever? And then changed it, changed the dates and the name. And it was a three-month URL pass, and I think I bought. I bought. I, I was, you know, I was, uh, I was dealing in, in uh, underground economies. I and, wish some gendarme or carbonieri had spotted your forgery and said, "Senor Rodrigo, you're arrested," and yes. it's like you are arrested. Oh, you're arrested. Wouldn't that be good? Uh, it was a thing where I was traveling with two other people, and we did get, I think, at some point in Denmark, pulled off the train, and uh, the inspector waved these URL passes under my companions, my travel companions' noses, and said, "These are such obvious forage forgeries. You know, you're going to jail tonight." And then he handed mine back. Oh, and it was a three-month first-class URL pass. Got greedy. I paid this guy a little extra. He handed me back mine and said, "Yours is obviously fine. You're free to go. You're free to go. But your two friends are with me. Check your privilege, John. And I check your like, good forgery privilege. I was like those aren't friends of mine. See you suckers <laughs> later. But so I they're, ju- st- they're still rotting in some jail in they Denmark. Are. They are. They're on the. They're on the. Uh, they're on a different kind of pineapple express. So you're in Forense. So I I, I. I had no luggage or ties to anyone or anywhere. Kind of like now. <laughs> And so I threw my International Herald Tribune down on the cafe table and upsetting your espresso and, uh, you know, threw a couple of, of uh, Lira. Lira on the table and marched quick step over to the train station and got on the overnight train to Berlin and woke up the next morning and the wall was open. So you, were you were you there that night when they were chung- knocking off masonry? I was there with uh, uh, with a with a, you brought your hammer, a hammer from well, Florence. It was a thing where the 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 feeling, the vibe in the in the town was so crazy. Um, I went over to uh, Brandenburg gate and 
the crowds were massing on the wall and somebody lifted me up and then I was up there and somebody handed me a you're, hammer. You're crowd surfing on the wall. It was incredible. I mean, it was one of, it was, it was incredible. It was a singular event. I had many, you know, a lot of Berlin tourism today is still wall centric because yeah. people our age who can afford to travel are fascinated by that era. Our kids had no idea. We had to keep explaining the Berlin Wall to them. But a lot of the tourism is wall-centric. And so you see these videos, and they're still extremely moving to see these young, hopeful people think that their, this is it. their gray Honecker world is, is going to get better. I have Happy a, Honecker. A, a couple of ugh. I I have a couple of uh, shards of the wall here that I chipped off with my own little borrowed hammer. We have some in our house as well because Mindy, my wife, was living in Berlin, not in 89 when the wall came down, but before reunification. Her her dad was a diplomat and moved there in, I think, early 1990, late 89, early 90. And they lived in the East because – you know, Bonn was still the capital of West Germany. If you right. were a U.S. diplomat, you lived in East Berlin. Right. So their house was, a, I think, a former Stasi listening post. Oh, isn't that awesome? She said. And it, the upside, I don't, know if, I don't know if there's any downside, honestly, to living in a former Stasi listening post. But the real advantage is that she said every room had like so many phone jacks. <laughs> <laughs> like no matter where you want to put a phone, like each room had like six phone jacks on each wall. <laughs> So it was awesome. But I love Berlin and and, uh, and the Long Winters played there many times and there was a there was a time where I thought um, that I might move there because it was so cheap to live and you could get such wonderful apartments for next to nothing and it was a very, it was a place that was attracting artists from all over Europe, young young people that wanted to go live cheaply and make crazy art. So it had a the feel on the streets was was really exciting. This was Mindy's first time back, and as you can imagine, it was pretty different in 2019 than 1990. I, I bet the cheap rents are gone. Well, even from 2012 to 2019, it's changed a lot. We we ended up staying right in Potsdamer Platz, which, if you've seen Vim Vendors' Wings of Desire, <laughs> it was where the wall went down, and it's a big. It was a big hole in the ground. And suddenly, that was the most desirable real estate in Berlin because there was all you know now. So now it's all these massive. It's kind of their Times Square with these massive malls and shopping complexes. And what's crazy about Berlin is that the eastern side of it was less bomb damaged. Yeah, and so a lot of what we think of as the kind of glitzy um, mid-century modern kind of garbage of central West Berlin is just because that's where the that's where most of the devastation happened. And East Berlin had a lot more. Uh, buildings that survived. World War II is why Berlin is not as charming as Paris or, you know, pretty much any other European capital. It's, you know, nothing against Berlin because it's our fault. We're the, I mean, it's not our well, fault. I mean, <laughs> nobody, nobody, Where you gonna we put didn't blame? make anyone invade <laughs> Sudetenland and Poland. <laughs> But it was our bombs, at least. Uh, the they, British, the British did quite a bit of bombing, and of course, the, the, the Soviets or the Soviets uh, shelled. Berlin into submission as well. And then everybody and had then a were piece. pretty awful during the occupation. Really but, only the French didn't have anything to do with it. Why did the French even get a quarter of these cities? Like they're they're you know, they're barely a country at that point. It's like Charles de Gaulle in an office in London with two assistants and he's like, Yeah, can we have a quarter of Berlin and Vienna? And they're like, Yeah. Even in nineteen eighty two, I was thinking about this the other day, even in eighty two, it still was true if you were on a college prep trajectory in public high school in Anchorage, Alaska, you took French because that was the language of the cultured 
it was college like in, in international elite. diplomacy, right? You imagine people at the UN speaking French to each other. No one, no one born after 1978 can possibly conceive of a time when, in uh, even recently, France was considered in the 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 upper rank of global nations. My son chose French over Spanish and Chinese and other more relevant 21st century options and i'm not sure why but it might be culinary he's a it, fancy boy it might be the rise of foodie culture i oh. think the last place where french is kind of relevant and top tier french has helped me when you name sauces over the years it's because when you go to africa you realize that french is still the lingua franca of large parts of shouldn't france be the lingua franca of every place hmm. interesting latin for the french, french language, language. Or does lingua franca just mean the very frank language, like like swearing? The language of the franks. Pardon my French. <laughs> when it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout but it's true standing at the top of the berlin we were on the dome on the top of the berlin cathedral and northeast Berlin, straight into straight into the former East Berlin is the only place where you see kind of charming old timey garreted roofs and yeah. nice architecture. Uh, but uh, speaking of that part of Berlin, right next to the cathedral is Museum Island, which uh, is the massive museum complex. Berlin, you know, maybe charmless in certain architectural ways, but culturally hard to beat. Yeah, there's a lot happening. Amazing art and music and everything else and uh this in this remarkable museum complex we, we didn't we were there the we accidentally just showed up on the saturday morning they were opening kind of the new the equivalent of the im pay louvre pyramid right on museum island so it's an, a new kind of tourism access point from which you can access all the museums we just heard like a marching band and we're like oh germany chill out boom, 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 yeah there was boom, a guy boom, in a tuba boom, boom, boom. And so we went to a cafe in one of the in the Neues Museum, not realizing that a nice newer cafe had like just opened hours ago on the terrace. <laughs> and uh, and it started to pour rain after we had eaten our strudel. So we're kind of wandering around the Neues Museum, and in a uh, in a weird corner room, a dimly lit corner room, there is really nothing but one of the highlights of this museum. Apparently, a spotlight pointed down on this single golden cone a uh, golden cone a golden imagine if you will it's an ice cream cone turned upside down dig if you will this picture about three feet tall 
uh, and and with a little kind of a foot or a brim what, at the bottom. Three feet tall? I feel, <laughs> did I not say that part? <laughs> Imagine an ice cream cone, but also it's like you're, you're a midget. Uh, you're like a Lilliputian. Uh, wow. So it's like I, I had a picture that it was like, well, a hat. And then as you started to describe it, I was like, is it like a cone head? What is the tallest hat, hat you own? I have a I have a um like a uh drum majors like a Shaco hat from a like a nineteen fifties marching band. Is this a sex thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's I mean you where got furries, you, where, you got juggalos. Where, where do you wear the uh I wear it around. Yeah, it's basically it's a thing. It's part of my dominant and submissive uh, sex cult that I'm a member of. I, I wear the drum major hat, and and is that dominant or submissive? Well, it depends. It depends on the <laughs> depends on if you're a clarinetist or a, uh, is it Thursday or a night or Sunday tuba night tuba player, I guess. Uh, and then you know, and then my companion would be uh, would be you know uh, dressed as an elf. Obviously, it stands to reason. Yeah, the eternal struggle between drum major drum and, and elves. elves. Uh, but this is a. M- <laughs> this is a ridiculously tall hat. Three feet is pretty tall for a hat. And the brim at the bottom kind of gives it the impression that it's some kind of maybe wizard or witch hat, which is not too far from the truth. As I, so I began to read why there is this giant golden hat in this room. It turns out this is one of the great mysteries in archaeology right now. This thing is a real oddity. And it's, it's, it's one of the prizes of this museum, the, the famous Berlin gold hat. But there are three— They, they don't have a better name for it than hat? Yeah, what, what, what would you go with? It's just Do you not want to really, pitch something? I don't think of it. It doesn't look like like a hat. Well, because it's kind of peaked, you can't use any of the cooler names. It's not a helm or a crown. Is it a headdress? It's not really a... It doesn't have feathers or anything. Like, you're really just wearing an extremely tall hat. Is, is this the golden hat of Schifferstadt? No, the golden hat of Schifferstadt was the first of these discovered. It's now on display in Speyer. Why is it not called... A gold cone. I guess a cone doesn't describe that it's meant to be worn as a hat, does it? Well, maybe it was called the gold cone at first because it was not at first clear to anyone what these things were for. When they were found, did someone not immediately try it on? It seems like what I would have done. It was not found with a head in it. It was not found with anybody wearing it. There have been four of these found uh, all over Central Europe. Some of them uh, from as far west as West Central France. There's one found near Poitiers in France. Hmm. Others uh, from the one in Berlin, it was found in uh, well, the one, one one from Bavaria, and the one in Berlin actually, the provenance is very iffy. It did not appear on the global art market until the mid nineties. Some private some private collector had got it through unspecified, possibly unscrupulous means, but it, it's believed to have been found in Swabia or even Switzerland. So, and there's only four of these things. Who are the prehist? Well, so what era are they from? So when you look at this thing, you cannot tell what area. If you had told me this was some Art Nouveau thing that Klimt had worked up in his workshop, I would believe it because it's very intricately filigreed with all these little bands and designs of a very kind of perfect and careful geometric workmanship. You could have told me it was Renaissance. The whole thing is not quite a perfect cone. Right. I assume because hammered gold sheets are very soft and light. Uh, so, but on, you know, on a micro scale... The detailing looks perfect. It's like you're looking at the like a Borg spaceship up close or something. Right. But from from far away, the cone looks the cone, the cone is kind of organic, like a, like it's been formed by coral or lava or something. It might have been Renaissance. Uh, the best guess we have now is that these are uh, late Bronze Age. Wow. From around a thousand BC. 
And was there a unified European peoples or cultures in the Bronze Age? We know very little about this proto-Celtic people. Well, we... we we don't know who they were or what they, or were, what they doing. were doing. <laughs> it is kind of the thing where we don't know who they are or what they were doing. They're called the urnfield culture because right. we found some of their urns in a field. Right. Like, that's literally all we know. Like, we found one piece of garbage. Like, if, if the future finds a piece of Kleenex, like, well, then we're part of the Kleenex civilization. Well, what will they call? What will futurelings call us? What are they the going to find more than John's else? era. They're, they're going to know about us, so it'll be the Omnibus era. It'll probably be the AOL CD era. <laughs> they're going to find tens of millions of those in landfills. <laughs> We're the AOLCD people. But so this is this is a thousand or two thousand years after Stonehenge. Right. Uh so you know, we should not be surprised that there were mystics wandering Europe doing mystic pagan things. But it is the workmanship of it is surprising and the fact that uh the wide distribution of this, which seems right. like a religious artifact or some kind of cultural thing. And yet the people were widespread enough to cover much of what is modern France, Germany, and possibly Switzerland. And just the fact that they did a nice job with it. Yeah, I mean, beautiful. We, like we are, we have really come to understand that Europe at this time was not famous for its, for being at the forefront of world civilization. Like if you had found one of these in Assyria or in Egypt from a thousand BC, you'd be like, sure, they were doing amazing things with gold. But, you know, Europeans were just, uh, you know, pooping in the lake in a thousand BC. It was, it was a dumb Kevin's era. <laughs> and so even if King Solomon is building his temple in Jerusalem, or if Sparta is being founded in Greece, we don't expect there to be amazing workmanship coming out of Germany and France at this time, countries that did not even exist. Well, for those of you at home in your future uh, land, uh, who like to see phallic symbols in everything well, that stands tall. It's got to be everybody. Because no matter what constitution uh, futurelings have, surely they will either have penises or worship them. Like they, if they don't, they'll have a civilization-wide case of, uh, what is it called? Electra syndrome? Uh, oh yeah, is that the one? Uh, and yeah. they're gonna and they're gonna know they're gonna see our like they'll see the Voyager probe with the naked dude and they'll be like, oh, people used to have penises. Oh, penises! Those were the days. So, do you find it phallic when you look at the gold hat? Well, no, but I, I you know, I'm always, I'm always struck. I always go back to the Venus of Willendorf or Villendorf. Everybody goes back to the Venus of Willendorf. The Venus of Villendorf is the thing where I say. How does this is relate that, to the Venus of Willendorf? Is that your type? Is that your physical type, the Venus of Willendorf? So one time, many years ago, I was outside of Vienna. I was walking along uh, the the Danube and came uh, – I was walking along sort of just on a stroll. And then there was a naked person. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, it is Austria and people do diff things differently here. And then I walked a little further, and there was another naked person. Of all ages and genders? Well, there's only two in my story so far, oh. so they couldn't have been of all ages and genders. They could be of all genders. Two, oh, sorry. No, that's not true. Two, that's, no, that's, I would, that's, there, that's not very welcome to say have at to all. Have met tens and tens of people by then. Uh, and then I walked a little further, and then there was a little gathering of naked people. And pretty soon I realized that this little stretch of the the path between... Vienna and the and outlying areas was a nudist beach, but on a river, a, a, a nudist river beach, a riparian beach. And I had not at that time been to, and I still haven't been to that many 
nudist events. And so, and I was fully clothed and I was on my way somewhere. I was not at liberty to say like, well, I guess I'll take my clothes off too, since that's what we're doing. You had an appointment. I had some place, I had a place to be. And so after not very much further, I was surrounded by naked people. There were hundreds and and hundreds. Were they jeering at you for you for wearing clothes? No, they were doing what you know. Every every nudist kind of wants you to understand that what they were doing was just normal stuff, like grilling hot dogs and volleyball. There's a lot of volleyball, volleyball and just sitting sunbathing. The former East Germany had a ton of uh, nudism, by the way. Nudism. Uh, we went or naturism, whatever naturism. they called it. Like it was, it was a very common vacation thing. It was like the thing the state couldn't control. They couldn't make you wear shorts on vacation. Right. Especially if you're, if you're a, a ostensibly an atheistic society, it's hard to put a moral like kibosh on being nude. Right. Uh, but anyway, as I walked through this crowd, I noticed, I think for the first time, you know, when you first see naked human beings in proliferation, it's shocking. And then it very, very quickly becomes commonplace. I mean, after 10 minutes of walking through this big crowd of nakeds, I was like, oh, right. Why am I wearing clothes? Clothes are dumb. Look how naked everybody is. It just seems fine. You're it's easy fine. to convince. I'm not. You know, it's not like I'm just following orders. But I was struck by how many people have the physique, a share of physique with the Venus of Willendorf. Which is a famous fertility sculpture that I'm sure predates uh, the gold hat by thousands of years. Well, so it apparently was made in 30,000 BC. Whoa, tens of thousands of years. Uh, which is bonkers, right? I mean, that's – there are very, very few – It's also surprisingly – Things that old. It's a surprisingly good piece of art for, for 30,000 years old. But she, the Venus, is wearing a kind of head – uh, dress. It looks like one of those crocheted caps you can get at a comic book convention that looks like R2-D2 or some kind of fruit. Yeah, it's kind of it's like the hat that Billy Gibbons wears to convince <laughs> us he's not going bald. Right. But it seems filigreed in a in the same way uh, slightly differently but, you know, the golden cone hats. There's a lot of detail on her hat. Yeah. Have, I've never looked at her hat. Her hat is where it's that at. Reveals a lot Because you're me. always looking at her her belly button and her, and her yeah. big butt. You like yeah. her big her big thighs. Do you know? Uh, I hope the future is aware of the odd TV show, The Young Pope. On The Young Pope, there's a Catholic cardinal who's erotically obsessed with Venus of Willendorf. Oh, in in the show, it's it's uh, suggested that the Vatican owns the Venus of Willendorf, which is not true, and I don't know why they would. Well, the Vatican takes all things, but no, it's in the Na Natural History Museum yeah, in, in Vienna. It's in Vienna, and I and I didn't. I, in subsequent visits to Vienna, I have not gone to see her, even though she plays this large role in my And even though you saw her, her flesh and blood uh, equivalents on the banks of the Danube. Well, and this was what – I think this is why it stuck, stuck out to me because I was, I was within 15 miles of the Venus of Willendorf walking on this, this nude strand and was struck that 30,000 years later, we, we looked the same and, um, and it was – and we looked the same, and and um, and it felt it felt perfectly normal, perfectly natural. I should go back there right now and take off all my clothes. You should go back in time, thirty thousand years. Obviously, that's what I want to be doing. Now that you've realized we're all the same, why am I here? You and I, you and I, you know, we even when we shake hands, we're uncomfortable. I should be over there playing volleyball naked with the Venus of Willendorf. 
We have, I, I don't know. I feel like she's going to need some kind of support for a game of volleyball. A ween, the weenus of Villendorf. <laughs> Is that you? Are you the weenus <laughs> of Villendorf? Anyway, the gold cones. The gold cones are a mystery because we know nothing of this culture. So everything we know about them is kind of detective work based on the circumstance of how we found it. It was the gold cones are typically found buried upright in the ground oh. and filled with ash. So they've been intentionally buried there as a relic. Oh. You know? We didn't just find them cast off. They were placed into the ground at the end of their hat life. So they're preserved beautifully. And and placed in the ground uh cone up. Uh yes, I believe that is correct. Cone up. Um, they're a single sheet of gold leaf. So you're wondering, how did people make these in 1000 BC with the whatever lousy technology Central Europe had in 1000 BC? It's a single sheet of gold leaf. It's about half a millimeter thick for the most part. Hmm. Um, and because gold is one of the lightest metals, these things, it's three feet tall, but it weighs less than a pound. These things weigh about 10 ounces. Whoa. And gold has such a low melting point that it would have been incredibly hard to make a sheet this thin and uniform and then to shape it into... How does it even support its own weight? Right. It's uh, I guess because it's because it's very thin. Gold is just just hard enough not to sag. Huh. Uh, and so it, it must have been made in some kind of pottery kiln because a very high temperature would have melted the thing. So to work it without melting it, there's a very precise temperature range. So it would have been like a charcoal fire, like the way you would fire pottery. Interesting. With a bellows just to control the temperatures and. Uh, that's apparently what they did. Look, I made a hat where there never was a hat. Uh, when it was found, we did not know it was a hat, however. Um, it was assumed for a while. The, the first ones to be found were assumed to be maybe ceremonial vases right. or possibly vases if, if, it's a a, vase. a, if it's a fancy archaeologist. Or a waz if we're doing the VW. <laughs> the weenus of the weenus of Willendorf <laughs> thing. Um, or it was believed maybe it was something that was kind of placed on a stake like a, the top of a maypole or something for some kind of pagan – Worship, and uh, it wasn't until the, you know the scholarship kind of realized that the opening is a very specific shape of oval, which precisely matches the shape of a human skull. Wow! That we realized maybe the, these dopists were wearing them on their heads. Uh, and in southern Sweden, in fact, a set of petroglyphs in a site called King's Cave. No, no gold hat was found there, but there is a picture of among the hunter and other stick figures on the glyphs. There's a dude wearing a weird, tall, three-foot hat as some kind of status symbol. Really? And Have so, we seen other artistic representations of the gold-hatted person? No, I think that's it. And so that, that's our supposition that people of power in that time did wear weird, tall hats as a show of rank. Um, and then when studying the designs on the... You should look at a close-up picture if you have it available in your area. There's a series of horizontal bands which have been made apparently by um, putting rolls of tree resin onto the gold and then hammering it like so it's embossed. So this is the little dimpled bands? Yeah, the, the run horizontally across the, yeah. the rows. But then between those rows, there are even more intricate designs, little circles and discs and other weird symbols. Right. Um, which are a kind of a weird perfection that have been apparently punched with cylindrical cylindrical stamps, just kind of like the same way you would make a a design out of a potato or whatever in in first grade today. Right. Uh, others are etched with coin uh, combs, dragging combs along the surface, or maybe rolled with wheels to get a kind of a repeating design. Yeah. So basically, it's the tools that would be in like a Play-Doh hair salon shop. The, these proto-Celtic people have developed. 
to work gold and to put incredibly detailed and specific designs on the hat. Uh Uh-huh. But why? Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start why would they do such a thing i mean now picturing myself wearing this hat i don't have to ask why you would be happy with any kind of any kind of elaborate design just as a style choice just you know let your freak flag fly i'm gonna wear this hat no matter what you put on it i think it immediately the specificity of the stuff on it calls attention to the fact that there's there's some kind of pattern or meaning encoded in the hat right they don't put there's no birds on it it's not just what look yeah it's not a put a bird on it hat it's not just whatever looked good to the artisan that something religiously or cultically important is going on there. And uh, a series of discoveries in the 20th century have pretty well established that what the hat actually is, is a calendar. Quoi? They're wearing a big calendar on their head. They, they didn't have, Whoa. they didn't have day at a time, far side calendars. Um, but this, this is a, uh, this is like a Mayan calendar, but it's a hat. It's a lunisolar calendar you can wear on your head. Um, that means that, you know, for each, for each date on the calendar, it's encoded both where in the solar year it falls and also where in the lunar cycle it falls. So we can assume that this is some kind of sun worshiping cult for whom the position of the sun and the moon in the sky had religious significance beyond just the kind of survival significance. You need to know what time of year it is for the crops or how bright the moon is going to be tonight for the hunt or whatever. You know, there's some, it seems like to me, I'm not my field, but it seems like there would be some kind of uh, utilitarian purpose in knowing what the sun and moon are doing. Well, I mean, anyone that has ever seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or any other uh, Yankee in Connecticut, yeah, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court knows that the real advantage is to be able to predict eclipses eclipse. so that you can then because if there's going to be one right on the day of your execution that's right at exactly the time of at your exactly the right time then you can scare the locals scare the locals that's the whole point of astronomy is to scare the locals <laughs> but what if you're in prison and you find a scrap of newspaper telling you that an eclipse is coming but it's actually several hours after you're you're dead you're done <laughs> or even worse tricky. or even worse there's a story in the paper that says no a total solar eclipse predicted for today. <laughs> You're like, oh, man. Damn, if it was only... Uh, th- uh, as this story unfolds, I am finding the word hat to be more and more ridiculous. It's very funny. <laughs> now that we know that this is actually not just a religious artifact, but like a scientific one, right? Yeah. A calendrical artifact. And we have nothing better to call it than hat. 
and you know, it's a gold hat. It's that's, a gold. That's, that's the term of art in the archaeological this community. Very tall, and and so I'm reading this thing, and it says whether the hats themselves were indeed used for determining such dates, and I can't I can't get past the word hats. Are you you have yet to suggest a replacement term? You see the problem. Chapeau. <laughs> I guess one was found in France. At least one is a chapeau. Uh, if, if, so if the theories are right about how the dates are encoded on the hat, then, uh, there are 59 different months hmm. restored on the Berlin hat. Well, we know that to be untrue. <laughs> you think that's wrong? By well, it? yeah. That's, that's I mean, 47 months mm, off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These yo-yos didn't even know. 59 months? Well, the problem is a 12 lunar month cal- uh, uh, calendar does not match up precisely with a 365-day solar year. Right. We've covered this in, in under separate coverage. I think it was the maybe the French Revolution yeah. uh, entry in the omnibus. Yeah. So as we know, there's always going to be a problem when you try to get the moon and the sun to match up. Even the sun is not going to match up with an even number of days, so you need to create some kind of intercalary device, leap seconds, leap years. You are describing my dating life. Does it have lots of intercalary it's, devices? No, it's just right very now? hard to get the sun and the moon to link up. <laughs> um, but with a... With a 59-month calendar, I guess the idea is you could multiply that out into a 19-year increment, which we call the metonic cycle. Is this something that we were aware of and using prior to this, or did we discover this through investigating the gold hats? The ancient Greeks were aware of the metonic cycle, and basically anybody with a calculator can become aware of the metonic okay, cycle. Okay, all right, all right. It turns out, yeah, just because I mean, just because you haven't done it, John, come on. Uh, as you probably know, uh, 19 solar years is the increment you, you would need to get uh, the solar the lunar, and lunar years to line up. Right, to come Na- back around. 19 solar years is almost precisely 235 lunar months to within just a matter of hours. You know, what you're describing is a kind of polyrhythm. Tell me what you mean by that. If you had, you know, if you Oh, I see. Two if, different time signatures yeah, played together. If your bass part was happening in the solar calendar and your drum part was happening in the lunar then calendar. Then the song needs to be 19 years long. <laughs> it's, it's a rush song. And then it all works out. Um, but we're, we're, it's the kind of thing where we're not actually clear what all the symbols mean. So there's a lot of supposition here. Like we can't tell exactly what all the use cases of the hat are. Do you think that they're also charting other celestial bodies? Uh, and now I'm asking you, uh, like, what do you, what do we think, Ken? Uh, I have not seen it. We're, we're pretty sure the sun and the moon are encoded. Like if the planets are there too, we don't know. Like to get the math to work out right now, we have to assume that some of the symbols we can't interpret on each row mean that you need to add or subtract a certain amount of time. Oh, oh I see. It's basically the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. You know, now subtract one cubit for the God of Israel whose hat this is. <laughs> um, and if and you know, and if we make certain assumptions about those symbols, then the math kind of works, and we can assume that some there was some powerful guy, some king priest in this cult, got to put on the hat. And he would be able to, because he's the guy with the hat, he would be able to say, yeah, you know, this is the month when the sun and moon do this, or we're still, you know, 20 full days away from the date when the moon is going to do the thing we like. But you can't read the hat when you're wearing the hat. <laughs> he's the one guy who can't. Right. So the, probably the the guy in the hat had some some priests or priestesses standing around Reading the hat. Or maybe you just put the hat on the dumbest guy. You know, dumb Kevin wears the hat, 
and everybody else who's smarter. You know, he's the one guy who wouldn't get anything out of it anyway. The dumb, handsome guy. <laughs> right. Have we ever discussed how attractive dumb Kevin is? I bet he's a pretty... I mean, Kevin is the name of an attractive guy. Because if he, if he can get away with pooping in the lake, you think he's in kind of a, yeah. a, an aesthetic bubble? Yeah, right. It's just like, oh, dumb Kevin. I can do whatever I want. Um, but the, the, the curator of the Berlin Museum has said that, uh, yeah, you know, he's imagining some kind of priest king wearing this thing. And because he's got the hat, he's regarded as a lord of time. Oh, he time has, lord! He's Doctor Who. Oh! He has access, basically he has access, to, because he's wearing the hat that has the numbers on it, you know, back in a pre-scientific time. To them, he's got access to the future. He's got divine knowledge that lets him know what's going to happen. Wow. And we can say, well, yeah, of course, duh, there's a Sudoku on the hat. But to them, it's much more bigger and mysterious and, and fraught and numinous that this one guy has this kind of ability. But you're right that none of this answers the essential question. Why does the calendar have to be a hat? Hmm. Does it have to be a hat or do you want it to be a hat? Well, look, we found the same kind of thing encoded in other kinds of artifacts. Like Stonehenge is now believed to hold you know, patterns related to the solstices in it. Like the stones look a certain way when the sun is in a certain place and that's what the druids – they're not druids. What right. the builders would have wanted, but this is the type of thing that we uh, we imagine was knitted into or woven into a textile, and that would have been sure. Why isn't a, it a tapestry? Why isn't it a, a set of stones? Why isn't a, it a, a series of mounds? Sort of much easier to show up somewhere with your calendar blanket. Well, not necessarily be. a hat. You can just put on your head. You've got your hands free. Look the, at these hats. The blanket you have to carry. You can't walk around in one of these hats. There's not it, a doorway in the ancient world you could get through. Right. And anybody sitting behind you would be like, sir, could you, uh, yeah. <laughs> could you please, would you mind removing that? So like why, I mean, is it because it's close to the head? Like would they have recognized that the head is the seat of consciousness? It points at the sky like a penis. I guess that's true. It's the part of you that's the closest to the sun, which is your God. Right. Uh, we don't know if the sun is their God. They may be they may be moon worshippers. They may they, they they may they may not take a side. This hat may just be like <laughs> they're teach, they're going to teach the controversy. They're going to teach. Maybe the, the sun god brings us the crops. Maybe it's the moon goddess. Sure, we don't know. I think there's a lot of assumption that it is a sun god, just because they would have known that you know in years with the sun, that's when the crops are good, and the sun's the brightest thing. And there's a lot of there's a lot of sun like imagery on the hat. Well, right, but. Going back to the weenus of Willendorf. You keep um, going back to your weenus. I feel, I feel like 30,000 years ago, we already knew how to make a statue of a sexy lady. By the time it's 1,000 years BC, like 29,000 years later, it's, I don't think people are like, whoa, the sun is the big god. You know, they're like onto some other stuff. They might, they might just be riding in gold hats, but... But they're so, not. They're not like I don't. I, I. I'm starting to believe that they're more sophisticated than we're giving them credit. It's interesting that it took fully twenty nine thousand years to get from the first sexy lady to the first time you could put something on your head and tip it and say, "Milady." <laughs> and that concludes gold hats. Entry five three seven dot ps two one zero three. Certificate number 23490 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, 
Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at at Omnibus Project. Before I go any further, though, I would like to remind you that we are an independent, networkless podcast who have ventured out into the wilds of the podcast ecosystem. Away from our former overlords. That's right. Or, you know, or the, the or away from the uh, warm bosom of the, uh, of our corporate masters. Well, that's, I, I was trying to rephrase it, but it sounds about the same. Anyway, we're all. Except yours has boobs now. We're all, well, it's away from the weenus of the iHeartMedia empire. comforting life nourishing teats of our of our former home all of a sudden ken and i who were up until this point um nominally independent contractors for a large media corporation after much ado are now just two guys at a table just two independent operators sitting here in the northwest waiting for the blood wave anyway go to uh, support our show become a become a member and a donor we're promising you no tote bag that's our promise to you. Join at the highest level you're comfortable. No, I'm sorry. Join one level higher than you're comfortable. Do one thing every day that scares you, <laughs> as Eleanor Roosevelt said. Contribute to one Patreon that scares you. And uh, and we will appreciate people who are early adopters of our oh donor yeah, model. You're going to get in um, on the ground floor. <laughs> because we, we are still figuring out how the different tiers and the perks associated therewith are going to work. But there is certainly nothing to be lost by going in early and showing your character and integrity by saying, you know what? Mm. I'm not in this for any kind of bonus content. Thank you. I'm just, a, I'm just, a, are you thinking the hypothetical person whose oh, yeah. voice I'm doing? Thank you, person. Thank you, person Ken is doing. Thank you, supporter. I just want to support this enterprise that has given me so much joy. So much joy. I feel like when the identity cards finally come out, your membership number is going to be important. When uh, when you're lining up to get on the interstellar barge, there's a few funny numbers, and we could arrange for you to have one of them. Ooh, the, at the right donor level, you could be pi. Do you want to be fifty eight thousand and eight? <laughs> it's pretty funny upside down. You know what? I feel like I'm I'm going to take forty two. I'm just oh. going to take it right off the table. John is <laughs> just loves geek culture. You're such a nerd. I'm not. I'm the cool one. Uh, anyway, so go to patreon.com slash omnibus project and, uh, and give generously. Also, uh, you can go to Twitter where Ken is constantly riling people up with his ribald sense of humor. Not lately. I'm kind of burned out. At Ken Jennings. Even burned out. He's funnier than 98% of the people you follow on That's Twitter. That's because they're all bots. And I am at John Roderick. I am, I post less frequently on Twitter because I'm, uh, it takes so much time to take all of the selfies that I have to send out to my Patreon subscribers who subscribe one at a time. They get the best ones. They do. And the remainder go on Instagram. Uh, I am uh, on selfsame Instagram at John Roderick. Please email us any questions or comments. Now that we're an independent show, of course, we're much more answerable to our listeners. We're so accessible now. <laughs> you, you own us and not the man. So email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com uh, and go to the fan group, The Futurelings on Facebook, who will almost certainly be in an absolute tizzy about this most recent transition to independence. They are the Futurelings on Facebook. Plus, you can mail us things, congratulatory letters. 
A postcard about the Austin Moon Towers. That's what I'm looking at now from uh, uh, Garments of Dazed and Confused fame. If you're going to send us anything, Ken is a perfect medium, a, a men's medium, and I am an imperfect extra large. Uh, our P.O. Box is 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. What constitutes an imperfect extra large? Do you have weird kind of lumps or, or bulges? No, I just, uh, I'm just... Are you Im- sometimes a large and sometimes an XL? No, I'm an imperfect person and I would never use the word perfect to describe myself. But I can describe you as perfect. I, I am actually, in yeah. fact. But I, I am, there's always, I always... Uh, I always chip the porcelain just a little bit to make it seem human. Out of respect for Allah. Yeah, that's right. Listeners, from our vantage point here in the distant past, we have no idea how long our AOL CD civilization will survive. We hope and pray that some world-ending catastrophe will never befall us. But should the worst come soon, this very recording could be our final word to you. Gold hats. It just all ends with gold hats. But we hope that Providence will allow us to return to you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>